Exodus chapter 12. We'll start in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we came here to lean into it and have it change us. We ask that you renew our minds today. We ask that you do work in our hearts today that changes us, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. If you read through the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews basically goes on this really fast list. He says, not to mention people like Gideon and Samson and, and all these people. And then he fast forwards and he doesn't name them, but he talks about people who, who had been martyred and died for their faith. And, and he kind of sums the whole chapter 11 up with this, with this quick list of just pop, 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 all these people. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he shifts the focus from this historical list of people who had hope that caused them to exercise their faith. He shifts it, the focus to, from them to the reader. And he says, Hey, listen, since all these people went before us, Oh, I just gave you this large historical account. By the way, if you remember, it went all the way back to the first family. Went all the way back to the beginning of Genesis with, with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. It's a, it's a historical who's who of, of the faith journey. That's what chapter 11 did. And so he goes all the way back through that showing this is, this is how the thing worked. And then he says to the reader, okay, since all those people went before us, he says, we have such a great cloud of witnesses, this giant group of people who have went before us. Now it, it was, it was all the people they had listed, but that wasn't an exhaustive list. There's plenty of people who exercise faith that didn't, that didn't make the list. But the point is, is that now he's making an analogy of us in a race. Now that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance. Okay. So now I need you to get a mental imagery of your, your in a, um, you're in a first century uh, athletics event and you're running a race. Now, uh, if you're like me, we would probably walk the race, but that's for another discussion. I'm not much of a runner. Uh, my uh, God made my torso much longer than my legs. Uh, so I squat better than I run. Let's just put it that way. Um, so, but we could picture ourselves... I could picture myself back in fifth grade. Anybody? I, I did track thing in fifth grade and it was still exhausting back then. Um, but imagine being in this race. Well, this isn't just any race. This is a race where there's a, 
there's a large seating capacity at the race. Imagine being at a place like a NASCAR race, only you were running around the track. I mean, this place has stadium seating forever. And, and he's saying, we're surrounded by this great cloud of onlookers watching us run this race. And he says, so in light of that, in light of all these people in the, in the crowd, we're competing, we're in, a, we're in this competition, we're running in front of the crowd. So we got to run well. So he gives us a little bit of instruction. You have to wear the right clothes to run. Everybody knows you don't run in blue jeans and flannels. Everybody knows that, right? So he says, set aside the things, the weight and the sin. And and he's painting this picture. You know, in athletics, you, you ever watch the Olympics? They wear clothes that that reduce friction and, and reduce the weight. And so there's a whole industry out designing clothes that, that will enhance the runner or enhance the swimmer or enhance whatever they're doing. Now it's not just physical ability. Now your clothes enhance what you're doing. So, so all the way back, all the way back when they were, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Hey, it's the same way. You can't run with, with all this weight on you. You got to, you gotta put the right clothes on. You gotta, you gotta get clothes that don't cause too much friction. You gotta get, you gotta get the right things on so that you can run well. Lay aside everything that could weigh them down or bind them up on their run. So you wanna be free to run the race that you're running. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if any of you have ever run very far. Some of you claim that after a certain amount of time, there's a thing called a runner's high? No. It's called you've tricked your mind into enjoying pain. That's what you've done. Um, I never felt high running. I felt dead running. Okay. Just to clear that up. Where this gets tricky for our culture is he's... He's being plain spoken here. This is not a race of ease and comfort or a contest void of struggle. It's not a, it's not a Sunday afternoon walk. This is a race that's difficult. The race will be marked by perseverance and the ones that endure will finish. And, and he illuminates a singular point of focus for the runner, and that's Jesus. Christ's example of enduring because of what was before him. Matter of fact, he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That this will be the pattern of the person following. Now that we're running the race, we follow the same pattern. We strip down to the bare essentials, and then we focus on Jesus, and we run with endurance. So we're encouraged not to become weary, even in persecution because of the example of Christ. Okay, so there's three things I want to talk about this morning. And that's the crowd that we're running in front of, the weight that we're supposed to shed, and the focus we're supposed to have. So if any of you like really clean outlines, you can write the the crowd, the weight, and the focus. Here we go. Wow, I don't really do that very often. That's pretty neat. 
The problem with, the problem with our, especially in America, the modern day church culture is that, um, is that it's one of affirmation. And, um, and we like being affirmed. Amen. And matter of fact, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the discipline, uh, that has come out of our culture as far as how we discipline our children, um, has gone more from discipline to affirmation. Right. And, and so our whole culture is permeated by this about like, um, you know, I remember, uh, <laughs> well, I gotta be careful. Um, I, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on spanking. <laughs> so <laughs> certainly out of vogue today. Um, so what happens is I remember if I smarted off or if I was throwing a temper tantrum, anybody remember throwing a temper tantrum like 45 years ago? Anybody remember what happened back then? My parents taught me how that was wrong. Yeah. And I never heard any, never, never heard out of my parents' mouth, Chris, use your words. That's the exact opposite they were telling me. Shut your, that's, that's the way it worked. And by the way, it worked. I learned how to shut my mouth quick. Okay. Hmm. But discipline in all areas of life has turned into affirmation. If I tell you you're great enough, you'll start doing the right thing. And the opposite is true. If I tell you you're great enough, it will enforce what you're doing. And what we've done is we've clapped people right to hell. We went, oh, you're so great. We love you. We affirm you. No, what you're doing is not good. And so you say, why did you start with that? Because when we in our modern culture envision the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering, we always think they're cheering. We always think I'm running my race the way I want to. And this great cloud of faith people are like, yeah, you do it your way, girl. And that's not what they're saying. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, hey, listen, we want to inspire you to endure. We want to show you what this thing looks like. Yes, we want to support you, but, but you have to, we're standing up here as an example for you. And so it's not just a clap and everybody wins. It's a, I need to, I, I, I'm provided this example so I can run and then I can look up and then I can see all the people who have run before me. Could you imagine? I want you to think about this. Could you imagine running your first big race in front of, in front of somebody like Usain Bolt? Would you think, I hope he claps? Or would you think I better get this thing right? Think about it. Could you imagine playing whatever, running in whatever race or playing whatever thing and putting the best people that have ever done it in front of you when you go to do it? Think about it. You know what that's going to do? That's going to make you practice. It's going to make you work harder. It's going to make you fear a little bit. Is that true? Hey, you know, fear is a good thing every now and then. You should be afraid every now and then. And I'm not talking about spiders. 
We should be afraid every now and then. We should be nervous every now and then. We should, we should be taking in the awe of what we've been called to and going, oh Lord, this is a big deal. And so this great cloud of witnesses filled the stadium and we're getting ready to run and we're looking up and I'm looking up and I'm going, there's Moses. I'm going to half-heartedly do this in front of Moses. I'm going to half-heartedly do this in front of people who've went before me and gave their lives. I'm going to half-heartedly do it. But what we've convinced ourselves is that all those people are going, oh, you're so great. Use your words. Use your words. So we find out that they're there to set an example for us. Um, The best coaches you've ever had are the ones that didn't put up with you. They transformed who you were. The best coaches you ever had were the ones that said, you can do better than what you're currently doing. The best coaches you've ever had said the team needs you to do better. The best coaches I ever, I ever had growing up in high school were like, come on, Chris, there's more in you. I'm not clapping yet because you're not there yet. Come on, put in more work, go to the gym, make it happen. Let's go. Come on. Do you remember those coaches? Do you remember those coaches before everybody got the trophy? It's been a subtle shift over the last 40 years of the modern church. And the shift has been this. We need to please people and not God. We love adulation. We love appreciation. We've ceased correcting. We put all our energy into encouragement. We have designed everything to be so pleasant for the person inquiring about faith that when they finally join the family, they're shocked when there's correction. Think about it. When they finally get in the race and then the coach corrects them, they go, oh, I I don't think you're mad at me now. No, I'm not mad at you. I want you to finish. That's totally different. Amen. Matter of fact, a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, the writer of Hebrews covers the discipline part. I didn't read it. I'll read it now. Chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Think about this. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seemed painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He's saying, listen, this thing is hard and God corrects us. And there's a great cloud of witnesses going, you can do it and you can do it better. And, and, and come on. And so let me tell you this, be weary of people around you that just always tell you you're great. They don't have your best at heart. They're people pleasers. And they don't know anything else to say. We, um, we have to be challenged in life. Let me ask you this. 
Do we need more examples of encouragement in our culture or more examples of endurance? More examples of encouragement or more examples of endurance? Do we need people that we can look to that have made it and beat it and got through it and trusted God? Or do we need more people clapping? Here's another thing about the crowd. It covers the whole breadth of the Old Testament history. It covers the family of Adam and Eve all the way past King David. And I need you to understand this for a second. You are not running a race that started with you. And that makes a difference. So, 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 so much of our culture now is like, oh, well, this is my life. I'll do whatever I want. We are not running a race that started with us. The reason they're in the stands is to make sure we realize this goes all the way back to the beginning. And we're just running a part of it. And now, now I realize, oh, wait a second. There's a weight on me now to run it well because now they pass the torch to us. Amen? So we've been adopted into the family. Hey, can, I, can I explain this to you a little bit? So as we would be called Gentile followers of Christ, we're not Jewish. I'm not Jewish, and most of the people in here are not Jewish. So we're Gentiles. We've been grafted in, the Bible says, we've been adopted and we've, we've been accepted as sons and daughters, right? Are you, are you following me? So when you're adopted, you get your ch- name changed. And you don't bring in your traditions from your family. You don't get adopted and say, well, hey, look, I, I ain't, this is the way we did it. You would get told real quick, you live in this house. Now, I remember being the biological son. And getting a certain age where I was like, no, I don't want, no, this is the way we do it in this house. If you don't like it, go start your own house. And I'm like, I'm 14. (laughs) Okay. So here's the issue. What we're trying to do is we're trying to recreate the the rules of the race. We're we're trying to recreate the culture around there. We're trying to recreate it all as if the race started with us and it didn't. We don't get to make up the rules of the race. We don't get to redefine what endurance looks like. We don't get to redefine what blessing looks like. We don't get to redefine what following in the footsteps of Christ looks like. Because all these people are sitting in the stands agreeing, this is the race. And now we pass it to you. Keep running. Don't change it. Now I'm not talking about lights. and, But this is still a race of endurance. This isn't a race of prosperity and freedom and all those things that we want. This isn't a race of, of applause. This is a race of endurance. And that's not going to change. Remember, remember we're carrying something that other people have carried for thousands of years. We're carrying that same weight. And why are they in the crowd? To remind us, hey, there's a ton of people came before you. Don't act like you started this. Don't act like we're doing something novel. Don't act like nobody's ever thought anything we've done before. Listen, listen, we are carrying on a legacy of faith. Amen? When you're carrying on a legacy, that's a different weight. It's not like starting a business going, well, it didn't work, and so we're going to just shut it down. No, we're carrying on a generational thing. Amen? Are you still with me? 
You're like, man, I invited my friend. I thought we were going to do Thanksgiving. (laughs) This is my version of Thanksgiving. Get with it. So now the crowd is established. Now it's not that they're not cheering, but they're not just up there clapping for everything we do. They're going, hey, listen, endure. This is what faith looks like. Run the race all the way to the end. Don't give up. It's hard, but you will endure. Now let's talk about the weight that we're carrying. And oh my, we're like the clampets. We're bringing the whole thing with us. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily. Think about that. What are we doing? We're running. We're running. And now we got, do you know what's crazy? You know how much harder it is to run with a cell phone in your pocket? It's impossible, isn't it? Now, now we got the stretchy pants with the little cell phone sleeve. But the bigger the cell phone gets, it's like, what do you got on your leg? And do you, I remember putting them on your arm. And so, so, so the way you run even changes because you're like, (laughs) it's like, why aren't you moving your left arm? I got my cell phone on it, man. Cause I got to have my tunes in my ears. Like, cause I can't run unless I have my right music. And so even, even the way we run gets disturbed by the technology we have. Does that make sense? So it says, lay aside the weight. The race is one that requires endurance. The writer clearly understands our propensity to make the race exponentially harder by our affection towards the material and our proclivity to sin. Let me make a proclamation for all of you. The race is hard enough. Don't complicate it more. And what we do is we complicate our own races. It's tough enough. It's tough enough to endure. It's tough enough to proclaim Jesus is Christ. Don't go complicating it by adding all this stuff to it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Lay the stuff aside that makes it more difficult to run. So let me say this. The more we need, the harder it is to run. The more we need, the harder it is to run. I can, I can, watch, I can watch you pack for vacation and tell how needy you are. Because you're just throwing every, you're like walking through the house going, yeah, we need that. We need that. Yeah, we need that. You're staying in a one bedroom hotel. Like you're really going to take the crock pot. We can plug it in the bathroom. What do you need all that stuff for? What do you need it all for? And so, so we, we've gotten to this place where we need everything. And it shows, we've talked about this before. It shows up in what we spend the most time praying about. We stop praying, God, use me for your glory. And we started praying, God, make sure I have what I need. You do realize that only a small fraction of the Lord's prayer includes providing our needs. Give us this Lord. Give us today our daily bread. It doesn't say that 15 times. It's part of what we pray, not the, not the whole of what we pray. We don't pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, you know what I need today, and we just keep making the list. No, it says it's just a small part of it. Give us this day our daily bread. What's the rest of it? Being forgiven, forgiving, acknowledging who he is, praying his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
There's a lot more to the Lord's prayer than just supplying our needs. But when we're a needy people, that's all we think about. And so we automatically run slower. Lord, I can't run today because I need this. I can't run fast today because I need this. I can't do this because I need this. I can't do this because I need this. Lord, if you'll do this, I'll run a little bit. And the crowd's sitting up there going, come on, man. Get rid of it. Take it off. Take it off. The crowd's looking at us going, I can't believe you could take one step with all that weight. No wonder we're crumbling. We're crumbling under a structure we created. We're crumbling under a weight that we weren't intended to carry. We're crumbling under all this stuff that we were intended to shed in order to be able to run a long time. So, now, I just talked to somebody this morning that talked about fasting, and I want to let them know I wrote this sermon on Wednesday. So if you think I'm talking about you, it's the Holy Spirit. Why do you think fasting is so hard? We're getting ready to fast at the beginning of the year. Why do you think it's so hard? Do you know how long you can go without eating? I don't know, reading the Bible several times, you can go at least 40 days. How long can we go? You're like, I didn't eat breakfast this morning, Chris. I can barely think. (laughs) Forget eating. How long can you go without coffee? Do you know how short your race is if you got to stop at Dunkin' Donuts every lap? <laughs> and we're laughing, but think of all the things. Think of all the, think of all the things we need. We need, our, we need our spa treatment. We need our this. We need our this. And we need the this. And we need the oil. And we need the da-da-da-da-da. And we're like, oh, I got a little back. Oh, I got a little this. Oh, I got a little this. And Lord, I need, I need, I need. And the crowd's going, come on, you got to start running. You got to start running, man. You got to shed off all that stuff. I'm not saying don't drink coffee, but when it gets to the point where you need it. I'm not saying don't drink Diet Coke, just so I can be totally transparent. (laughs) But if it gets to the point where it messes your race up, because you treat people poorly when you don't get it. Every year we'll get to the beginning of the year and we'll get to fasting. And then people go, oh, this is so hard. That's because we've been running in parkas all year. Filled up with nonsense. We just keep putting jackets on that have more pockets so we can fill it up. And we start running and we don't know why we're not getting anywhere. And then we get to the place where we're like, hey, we should try a fast. And you're like, whoa. Whoa, you want me to, you really want me to go off the deep end now. No, I want you to run harder. I want you to run with endurance. I want us to all get lean so that when Jesus shows up, he knows we were serious. The problem with the modern day church now is when Jesus shows up, we're going to look like chipmunks with face fulls of Twinkies. And he's going to be like, what was your focus? Why is giving of our time so difficult? Why is generosity with money so sensitive? Why do we have to, why do we have to always parse what we say? Why is it? Because we need it so bad. We need what we have. 
It's simply this. We have a hard time giving it all up. We have a hard time giving it all up. And especially, like, here's what we do. It's Thanksgiving. And so we sit in our houses and we sit and then we go, Lord, thank you for everything that we have. And the Lord's looking down at us going, it sure has made you run slow. It sure has made you run slow. It sure has made you run slow. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for he, he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He's, he's not saying you can't have money. You just can't, you just can't, you just can't serve both. And if the modern church needs to, needs to understand anything is that we could run faster with less. I'm ruining every kid's Christmas this morning right now because, because some of you just went like, all right, Johnny, we're starting this year. You're going to get one gift and we're going to teach you how to run fast. Listen, we have to understand this. In case, you, in case you haven't turned the news on lately, it is not getting better. And a fat church doesn't run very long. And we have to understand that when we cast off the things that cause friction in our lives, we cast off the sin that causes us not to be able to endure relationships and, and all these things. When we cast that off, we run faster, we run longer, and we can run through more difficult seasons. Amen? The church has to be able to endure this. There is no signs in our culture that this is becoming a gospel-friendly nation. There's no signs of it. There's no signs that this is becoming a gospel-friendly world. And yet we still expect everybody to clap. No, we should be expecting us to have to strip down to run longer. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't get all tangled up. I can't do it. I can't get all tangled up. Listen, the more we sin, the harder it is to run. Uh, this is going to be some old school preaching for you that just showed up. The more we sin, the harder it is to run. And the only person that can do anything about your sin is you. The only person to do anything about my sin is me. And the Bible says if we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive it. But Paul also goes on to say that we're responsible to put it to death. So now we come back to the writer of Hebrews and he says, if you're planning on running this race, the way you see everybody in the crowd ran it with endurance all the way to the end, you've got to get rid of some sin in our life. Amen. Paul wrote to the Ephesians chapter four, 22 to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Not every one of your desires is from God. And we got to start recognizing which ones are and which ones aren't. Amen? We are called to constantly put off sin because it inhibits us from communion with God and accomplishing his will in our lives. How do we know which direction to run? Because I've asked the Lord. How do we ask the Lord? Because, because I have relation with, relationship with him now. How do I know I have relationship with him now? Because he's made me right in front of God. How do I know that? Because I've confessed my sin and he's forgiven me. If I'm trying to have a relationship with him where confession is not part of it, it's probably not real. Paul 
They're saying amen online. You wouldn't believe it. They're just like, amen, Pastor Chris. A professional runner wears clothes suited for running. There's a design to give freedom of movement with the least amount of drag. Think about that. What if we as the body of Christ started streamlining our lives to give us freedom with the least amount of drag? You know how we do that? Less sin and less stuff. I, no, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. No, I'm not going back to that church. He told me to sell my car. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. But you know how hard it is to run with stuff hooked on you. You know how, you, I don't have to explain to you how hard it is to think in the environment that we live in. Where we're being bombarded by our phones 24-7, being bombarded in our sleep, being bombarded during the day. And the church doesn't even know how to shut it off. How are we going to start filtering what comes in? Because we've got to be able to endure. And here's what's happening. The more information that comes our way, the more anxiety happens, the more depression happens. All this stuff has gone exponentially off the rails. Because why? Because we can't discipline ourselves. We can't say, I'm running a race that can't, can't have those distractions. All right, now we talk about focus. The band's going to come up. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How do we run? We've got this great cloud. Now, here's what I want to make sure you understand. The crowd is in our peripheral. Because they're up in the seats, right? We're not looking at the crowd. Anybody ever run a race and the coach said, hey, don't look around. You look straight ahead. And when you start running slower, when you start looking up, and when you start looking to your side, when you start seeing the person run beside you, and you're like, ah, oh. No, that's why they tell you, run, run with your head straight. Don't look around because it's going to take your focus. You're going to be tripping and then everybody's going to laugh at you. So what happens? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, we've been talking about hope this whole time. The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The idea of looking to Jesus is one of focus. Christ is never to be in our peripheral vision. Did you hear me? If Jesus is something you're adding to your life to make it a little bit easier, he's not the Lord of your life. He's a supplement. You don't live on supplements. You take them to add in addition to something you're already comfortable with. Are you hearing me? It's like, I'm going to eat what I want to eat and I'm going to add the supplement to make up for it. Can we be honest about supplements? What do you eat, Chris? I eat Twinkies and Diet Coke. Oh, you should probably take some vitamin B. That sounds like a plan. Let's do that. And that's what the modern church does with Jesus. We do whatever we want and then he's in our peripheral over here. Well, I'll take the pill once a day and that'll, that'll give me a good heart. I'll be fine. No, that's not what he's saying here. Focus our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why are we running? Because of Jesus. Why am I here? Because of Jesus. Why do I cast it off? Because of Jesus. Why am I able to not sin? Because of Jesus. Why won't you go there? Because of Jesus. Why won't you do that? Because of Jesus. Why, why would you endure that? Because of Jesus. If there's any other reason, you won't do it. So this goes all the way back to Exodus because 
Anything in front of us that's not Jesus is by definition an idol. That's the definition of it. By definition, it's an idol. Exodus chapter 20, verse four, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. He's telling the Israelites in the 10 commandments, God is giving to Moses. He's saying, don't put anything out in front of you that's not me. Don't chase anything out in front of you that's not me. Don't, don't, don't put so much emphasis on something that you're willing to put me over here and put that in front of you. You won't run. You won't run because guess what? When you get to whatever you put in front of you that's not Jesus, it will fail you when you get to it. It will be less intoxicating. It will be less rewarding. It will be less everything than what it could be. And so we're called not to make idols. And by definition, whatever we put in front of us that's not Christ is an idol. Our culture has just made Jesus an inspiring figure with no real necessity on following him as Lord. This reduction places the author of life in a supporting role. And he should just be available to meet all of our needs as we run this race as we see fit. But let me tell you this, Jesus is not simply an inspiration. He's The writer of Hebrews says he's the author of your faith and the finisher of your faith. The whole reason we're running and able to run is because of him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He started it and he's finishing it. And he's our soul focused. He's the founder of the race and the one who perfected the run. So we get inspiration from the people in the crowd, but they weren't perfect. The person standing in front of us that we're running towards did it perfectly. So we realize we're carrying it. We realize that we're that we're that we've been past the torch. We realize that there's examples in, around us of people who endured, but we get the benefit to run at the author and finisher of the whole thing. It's not what I have that enables me to run. It's not how good I am that enables me to run, but it's Christ and Christ alone that enables me to live this life and live it with endurance. Amen. Just stand to your feet. I want to pray with you this morning. Listen, church. I know that this is this is a difficult thing this morning, but there's moments in our in our church life where we have to come to grips with what God has called you to do, with what he's called me to do. Are we hearing him? Are we, are we listening? Are we able to do it? Are we, and, and we got to the end of Hebrews in the Hebrews chapter 11 and the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, I made this whole list. I made this whole list to point out to you that you're running this race. If you're in this building, you're running this race. If you put your faith in Christ, you're running this race. And he's giving you a textbook example of how to run it well it well there's things that we got to put off and we've got to have the right focus and we've got to be able to in a in a culture that is compressing us with information and distraction that is pushing it in every angle around us we've got to be able to go hey wait 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 nope nope i gotta get i gotta get some freedom in here i gotta push some things off so i can get 
I can get my stride back. I can get my flexibility back. I can, I can run without all this baggage. And as soon as you fix your eyes on Jesus and we get good at getting rid of the other stuff, you can't imagine the freedom you can live in. If you could really be free from that sin this morning, if you could really be free from that thing that's weighing you down, you can't imagine how much better your life will grow. So, Father, we ask you for that this morning. We ask you, Lord, to keep us focused. And, Lord, keep us light. And, Lord, you said that we could put all of our cares on you, that we could cast our burdens on you. You've set a system up to where we could lighten the load. And so we ask this morning, we cast them on you. Lord, we pray that you point out sin in our lives that we could get it dealt with today. And, Lord, it would free us to run the race you set before us. We thank you for it, and we honor you because of it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you say amen? Could you give him thanks?